Rob is going to share the word of God with us. And just before that, I'm going to pray and ask the presence of God really to come now. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your church and we thank you that you're building your church. We thank you for Rob and what you've put in his heart to share with us, Lord. We pray that as he preaches your word, Lord, that you would speak to us through your word. I pray that he would preach your word in authority and in power that is good, that's been given by you, Lord. I pray that your word would speak to each and every one of us this morning. Bless Rob as, as he brings and shares your word with us. Amen. Okay, so um, thank you for the opportunity to preach. Um, elders, really appreciate that. Um, just want to start off by telling you what the title of the message is, and that is God is Provider. And I hope you've been enjoying these summer Sundays. I hope you've been enjoying this series. I do think that I've been given the short straw with this series because I have to follow that amazing preach we received last week. Weren't the youth fantastic? Aslan, Sarah, Jake, Yafet, they were brilliant as they talked about God being our shepherd. And I have to follow that. And um, Simon, as I was leaving church last Sunday, Simon just went up to me with a cheeky smile on his face, you know, as he does, and says, good luck in following that. So what encouragement that was for me. But I'll do my best. I'll do my best to follow. But they were fantastic, absolutely. Um, so the main passage we're going to be looking at is from uh, Genesis 22, verses 1 to 19. So it will be on the screen. If you want to start turning to that now while I introduce it, that'll be fab. Um, we're going to be looking at a character called Abraham, and he and his wife Sarah had waited a long time for God to give him a son. But as time went on, as they got older and older and older, they began to doubt that promise. And they started trying to take matters in their own hands. They did something crazy. So Sarah told Abraham to go and have a child with her maidservant, Hagar. And that ended bitterly. That wasn't very good. And um, that put them in a really bad place with God. But eventually, they got themselves right with the Lord, and God fulfilled his promise by giving them Isaac. But when Sarah had Isaac, she was 90-year-old, and Abraham was 100. So amazed to be having kids, isn't it? Um, you know, so what, they named him Isaac because Isaac means he laughs. And when they had, it was funny, like I said he laughs, and he started laughing. That was great, great timing. Um, I, I wasn't rehearsed, honest. Um, but he, um, it means he laughed. So when they had Isaac, they just couldn't believe he, he arrived. And all, the only option they had in response to this arrival of Isaac was to laugh. Everybody laughed, the friends, the family, even them, because even they got to the point where they thought, you know what, this isn't happening. God's promised it. We're way too old to have kids. You know, Abraham's thinking, I'm 100, she's 90. We're not having this child. But then God defies all logic, he, go, he breaks through the impossible, and Isaac is born in their old age. God keeps the promise, his promise to them. However, even though Abraham overcome this um, test of faith, if you like, waiting for the arrival of Isaac, um, he was also awaiting for this promise for Isaac to become a great nation. And I'll go into, about, into that promise a bit later. But in this passage in Genesis 22, another test of faith was given to Abraham. So let's read all about it. In Genesis 22, verses 1 to 19, um, I'm reading from the New King James Version. Now, Abraham's faith confirmed. Now, it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. Then he said, take now your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah 
and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son and he split the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. Then on the third day Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. The lad and I will go yonder and worship and we will come back to you. So Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took the fire in his hand and a knife, and two of them went together. But Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, My father. And he said, Here I am, my son. Then he said, Look, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, My son, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. So the two of them went together. Then they came to a place of which God had told him, and Abraham built an altar there and placed the wood in order, and he bound Isaac his son and laid, on, laid him on the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. Now when I read this for the first time, I started to get really nervous, really nervous. But the angel of the Lord came to him, called from heaven, and said, Abraham, Abraham. So he said, here I am. And he said, do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, since you've not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Then Abraham lifted his eyes and looked, and there behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by its horns. So Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up for a burnt offering instead of his son. And Abraham called the name of the place the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. Then the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time out of heaven and said, By myself I've sworn, says the Lord, because you've done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son, blessing I will bless you. In multiplying, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heaven and as the sand which is on the seashore. And your descendants shall possess the gate of their enemies." In your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned to his young men and they rose and went together to Bathsheba. And Abraham, Abraham dealt at Bathsheba. Thank you, Lord, for your word. So let's have a drink. Okay, so I've got four points to my message today of God being provider, and I'll, go for, I'll, I'll just reveal them as we come to them. Well, the first point is that God provides by saying yes. He says yes to us, honest. God providing is a promise. You know, we read, Jesus says in Matthew 7, verses 7 to 8, he says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives Everyone who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. I love that scripture. And I love many things about God, but one thing I'm really excited about is when God promises to do something, he does it. There's no if, buts, or maybes. God doesn't say he's going to do one thing and do completely the opposite the next. He's amazing. He never contradicts himself. And when God makes a promise, he follows it through. He's serious. It's not just lip service. The word of God is unchanging. It is, and that's why reading the scripture is an amazing gift given to us by God. 
it's all true. There's no mistakes in it. I 100% believe in that. And every promise in it has been and will be fulfilled. Do you believe that? Do you trust in these promises? I do. And that's amazing news for us to hear that God will never break his word. I can say that without any doubt at all. Providing is part of God's name and identity. Now, God promised Abraham something special in Genesis 12, verses 1 to 3. He didn't just promise that Abraham would become a dad with Sarah, but he also promised that Abraham's name would be made into a great nation and that this nation would become a nation not to be messed about with. Okay, and when Abraham received this promise, he was 75 at the time, and obviously Isaac didn't come on the scene until 25 years later, so a bit of a distance there, a bit of a time gap, isn't there? Um, but and Abraham could have been very sceptical about what God was saying here. Okay, But when you read the Old Testament, most of the Old Testament proves that this promise that God made to Abraham, he was serious. He wasn't just saying it. And as you go through the Old Testament, you see how the nation of Israel was formed, developed, and actually overcame many enemies. Okay. Now, how good God puts his promises to us really puts us to shame, doesn't it? Think right now how many promises you've broken to God, to somebody else, somebody that you don't know, somebody that you love and trust. How many times have we said we're going to do something and not follow through with it? I've lost count. I've run out of fingers and toes to count that one. And however, when we step out in faith, God will bless and honour us every single time. Now, a few months ago, the youth leaders um, of Jubilee had a meeting with Simon and Raj, and we were talking about New Day, and we were thinking about, well, we had a problem. We didn't have enough adults to go with the kids, basically. Uh, that's what was happening. And we were thinking, can we take the youth to New Day this year? We were questioning that, and we didn't really come out with an answer that night. Um, Gavin Haley, obviously expecting uh, the child, and Alice knew she'd be working, and um, she'd be making wedding preparations and stuff like that. And I could go, but, and I love our youth to bits, but I didn't really fancy my chances with going to the and Gav's shaking his head vigorously here. There's no way I could have taken the youth group on my own. So we think, how on earth can we do this anyway? We just committed to God, this to God in prayer. And later on, we found out that Simon could come. We found that Sarush and Marvash could come as well. But even though we still had only four leaders to come, we're still thinking, is it possible? Is it right? Do we have the manpower to do it? And anyway, the leaders, our elders decided we were just going to have faith and believe that God was going to provide us with the people to go down with the youth. And they didn't know where these people were going to come from, but they were just going to take that step of faith and say, yes, Jubilee Church Teesside Youth are going to New Day. And then when we got there, God honoured their faith because when we got to New Day, not only was there myself, Simon, Sarush and Marvash, we also had Jasem, we had Elham, we had Zach, we had Yafet, we had Namiya, we had Baz, we had Josh. We had an amazing team. Don't get me wrong, guys, we still miss you. Uh, I'm not saying that. But um, we had an amazing team and we worked so well together and God really blessed us. But it started off by the elders saying, yes, our youth group is going to New Day, even when they didn't see where these people were coming from. Okay. And God does say yes to us at times. He does say yes to our requests. We're encouraged in Scripture by Paul the Apostle to ask God for things. 
And let's face it, there's no better place to go to than to our Heavenly Father to ask for things. Philippians 4 verse 6 says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. However, something we need to look out for with God is that he will not always say yes to us in the way that we expect. Sometimes he'll give us the answer that we need, but not necessarily the answer that we were looking out for or expecting. And, you know, God will provide us with answers to prayer that we cannot possibly imagine. And a good example of this is in Genesis 22, the passage that I've just read. Now, prior to these events, Abraham was awaiting God for instruction. He knew it was time for him to do the burnt offering, but he didn't know two things. He didn't know where it was going to happen, and he didn't know what he was going to sacrifice. But he comes to God, and God gives him an answer. He answers his prayer. He tells him where to go and what to sacrifice. But what, God, what Abraham could not have been expected, surely, was to sacrifice his son, to sacrifice his miracle child. This kid, him and his wife, had been waiting for all his years. God was telling him to give him up and sacrifice him. Now, have a little thing to yourself right now. If that was your child, how would you respond? Now, I get a bit nervous because I sort of, you know, my, my parents might be agreeing, so I think, oh, that sounds like a good idea. <laughs> Let's get rid of Rob for a bit, he's a pain in the neck. Um, but seriously, you'd freak out, wouldn't you? You'd absolutely freak out. You'd probably say to God, no, I'm not doing that. Now, I'm pleased this morning to teach that God did not want Abraham to kill his son. Take a deep sigh of relief. He was testing his faith. He was seeing if Abraham had his priorities right with God at the top of the list. He was seeing if Abraham trusted him so much that Abraham was even willing to go through with whatever command he asked him to, even the commands he didn't particularly agree with or understand. So what does Abraham do in response to this? Well, he obeys. He brings Isaac up to the mountain, and poor Isaac, I feel sorry for him here, he's puzzled. He says in verse 7, he asks, Father, I see the fire for the offering, but where is the lamb? This poor lad has no idea that it's him that's the offering. Now, in my view, Abraham doesn't really appear to be in turmoil here. He appears to be quite relaxed about the situation. Um, he seems totally confident in just following out this command and it all just working out by itself. Um, Abraham was so willing to make the sacrifice that he was willing to give up anything, including his son. And he did that because he knew that everything he had belonged to God, even his son Isaac, even the miracle child he'd been waiting for for so long. But the point I'm trying to make here is that Abraham had the faith to such a level that he could see God was going to do something great through this distressing and confusing situation. And Abraham says in verse 8, he says, My son, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. And at this point in this passage, it's just like, I remember reading this for the first time and I'm thinking, I do not like where this is going. I am not enjoying this reading. Maybe there's somebody here today who's hearing this story for the first time. And, but it just goes, Abraham just goes along with it. He sets up the altar. He ties up poor Isaac. And I would love to know what Isaac was thinking at this point in time. You know, a penny for your thoughts and all that. But in verse 10, we read that Abraham stretches out his hand with a knife and he's about to slay his son. Scary stuff. But God answered his prayer. He provided him the sacrifice he was looking for. 
He provided an answer to Abraham that he did not expect or understand. Going back to the leaders of Jubilee, they could not see how we were going to have the manpower to get the youth to New Day. But they took that step forward anyway in faith. And God gave us the team that we needed. And I'm proud to say I was at New Day. I was proud to say that every member of our youth group did business with God that week. Isn't that great? Thank you, Lord. Abraham did not let his understanding take over. He let go of it. He didn't know how Isaac was going to survive and be sacrificed at the same time. He just trusted in God. And God revealed his ways to him in, in the long run. Sometimes God says yes to us, even for our faithful steps. But what I want you to think about right now is, what faithful steps is God calling you to do now? And are you willing to step forward? Are you willing to make those blind steps of faith? Are you willing to put 100% your trust in him? And that moves on to my next point, that God provides by saying no. Cheers, that. God is our provider. You know, our Heavenly Father, he provides for his children abundantly. And this is confirmed in Philippians 4, verse 19. Paul the Apostle says, My God will meet all your needs according to the riches of the glory in Christ Jesus. So because God will provide for us everything we need, does that mean then that God has to say yes to everything that we ask for? Does that mean that God just has to give us everything that we want? Does that mean that I can just pray and say, Lord... Give me lots of things. Give me lots of money. Make me rich. You know, make me so rich I can buy loads of houses and have loads of cars. I can buy expensive clothes. Lord, give me popularity. Give me, just make everybody know my name. Lord, I just pray that you, um, you, you give me a job where I can earn all this money and not have to work hard for it. You know, like being a premiership footballer. That's a good example, isn't it? Um, you know, that would do just nicely, Lord. So, Lord, you know, I need you to give me this now. Get on with it. Does that mean I can say that? Actually, as I said, get on with it, Lord. I sort of trembled a bit because we've got to watch how we speak to the Lord. And God will not honor prayers like that. He won't because, well, that prayer was just selfish. It was all about me. And sometimes, there's, well, there's a massive difference, I believe, to God giving us what we want and God giving us what we need. And at times, we're selfish, we say ridiculous prayers like the one that I've just said. And there's a danger of interpreting God as our provider with a false definition that God has to give us everything that we want. Now, do you believe, obviously I believe it, but do you believe that sometimes God says no to our prayers? Do you believe that? How does that make you feel? I have to be honest with you, I'm very relieved that God says no to us. I look back at my Christian walk and I think of all the ridiculous things I've asked God for. And thank you, Lord, you said no to me. Thank you, Lord, you told me to get real. Thank you, Lord, you told me to shut up and get over myself. Thank you, Lord. Um, and God will refuse our requests from time to time if we're being selfish or if what we're asking for doesn't fall in line with the purposes that he has in store for us. An example of God saying no in Scripture is 2 Samuel verse, verse 7, uh, where David wanted to build the temple of the Lord. He really wanted to do it. He was passionate about it. He was excited about it. He thought, this is an amazing work. I want to do it. So he brings it to God, and God says, no, don't want you to do it. I want you to pass that work on to your son, Solomon. Now, to David doesn't take this well. At first, he's thinking, oh, I want to do this. This is my work. But then eventually, he humbles himself. And he accepts that, actually, this is Solomon's calling, 
not his. And then if you read in 1 Kings chapter 6, you'll see that Solomon was involved in building the temple. Now, at times, we think we know what's best for us, but let's face it, we don't have a clue, do we? We have no idea what's best for us. Only God knows, and he sees the bigger picture, and he provides what's best for us, even if that means not giving us what we want. Thank you, Lord. Now, accepting this truth challenges us because it means that we have to trust him. It means that we must put all of our opinions, agendas, comforts, desires, interests, all to one side and solely put our trust in him. It's about saying, God, I really want that and I don't understand why you're not giving me it. But I accept what you say anyway and I trust you. Lead the way, Lord. You're doing this for the right reasons. Now, I read a story, you may have heard this story before, but I read about this Christian guy in America, and his prayer was to ask God to take him off jury service. Now, has anybody been on jury duty before? You've been on it, right? Does anybody like to go on jury duty? Some people like to do it. But um, this guy did not want to go on jury duty, and he's saying, Lord, take me off this duty, I don't want to do it. And God said to him, no, you're going on it. You're going on this duty. And this trial involved a man murdering a teenage boy. Um, this boy's father was in court as well. And the defendant was found guilty. And the Christian in this jury ended up getting to know the boy's father very well. After the trial, he stayed in touch with him. And he was able to offer the victim's father with the love and support he needed to realize this hope for him to realize there's a future. And also, he helped this guy to forgive the man who murdered his son. Now, if God said to him, okay, I'll get you off jury duty, that guy would have missed out on supporting the victim's father. And sometimes God says no to us from time to time. But when God says no to us, that doesn't mean that God isn't providing. No, he's just providing a better way for us to move forward. The verses in Isaiah 55, 8 to 9 come to mind where God says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Last week I remember Jake and Yafet making a comment that really made me laugh. They said that sheep are stupid. I don't know if you remember it. Um, and they're right, they make some foolish choice. I remember hiking up Helvellyn in Lake District and the sheep were just like hanging on the edge of the cliff. And I'm thinking, what on earth are you doing? And I seemed quite chilled out, to be honest. I thought, oh, yeah, we'll just hang out on the edge of the cliff. I wouldn't dare go that near, but sheep need the shepherd to guide them and keep them safe. But he's the humbling truth. If sheep are stupid, right, in the, lo- in the parable of the lost sheep, who do the sheep represent? Represent us, don't they? So I just thought I'd encourage you all this morning by telling you all that you're all stupid. Okay. But I include myself in that, okay. But, um, yeah. But if sheep are stupid, then that means we're a bit daft as well. And we make foolish choices. And we need the shepherd to guide us, to teach us, to correct us, to discipline us. to, And plain and simply, say no to us when we're being daft and we're asking for stupid things. Because we can make foolish choices, can't we? Just like the sheep. And I'm sorry, coming to the end now, but the next point is that God can provide by saying wait. Okay? So God provides by saying yes, he provides by saying no, but also he provides by saying wait. And he doesn't always provide for our needs straight away, does he? 
You know, he will give it some time before he provides. And going back to Abraham 22, this is a great example. You know, Abraham endures the test of faith by demonstrating that he's completely reliant on God and that he's willing to do whatever it takes to do what God requests him to. And that even includes sacrificing his precious son. In verse 12, the reason for Abraham having to make this sacrifice is revealed. And the angel explains to him that by being willing, Abraham has shown that he truly fears God and that he's shown this by showing that he's not even willing to withhold his own son from the Lord. But then after that, Abraham is told not to lay a hand on Isaac. And that's when we can all take a deep breath. He lifts his eyes and in verse 13, he sees a ram caught in a thicket, which is another word for undergrowth. And he offers the ram up as a burnt offering instead of Isaac. In the Old Testament, the people of God were commanded to kill a prize animal and offer it up as a burnt offering to make a tribute to the Lord. This sacrifice was completely burned on the altar and it was eaten by the community that overseen the sacrifice. However, Abraham had to be tested and he had to wait for the time to come until he could see the ram, until he could see the appropriate sacrifice, until he could see the way forward. Abraham knew on the whole that God would provide the sacrifice, even amongst all the confusion, because his faith was strong. And God will provide, but he'll often tell us to wait before he does so. But through the waiting process, God provides his tests. He provides his tests in faith, so that we can become more robust, stronger, and more reliant upon him. We should thank God for these tests, because they're precious. But there's a problem, isn't there? There's a problem with waiting, isn't there? We don't like it. We don't like waiting, do we? You know, we have this fast food mentality where we want things yesterday or we want things now. And we're so impatient, impulsive. Waiting is just not an option. However, God quite often ignores these impulsive feelings that we have to get on with it. He calms everything down. He tells us all to chill out. And he just slows it down and he reveals his purpose to us in time. Sorry, in his time. And God doesn't just do this with Abraham. He did it with Job as well. If you read the book of Job, then you'll, you go, Job goes through all this suffering and then at the end, it's all revealed to him. But I also think today how today, as Christians of today, of the world of today, we wait for the return of Jesus. And we, we wait for Jesus to come back to this world and put it right permanently. But this event is going to happen and we've been waiting for a long time, but it has to be in God's timing. And I have to be honest with you, it makes me laugh when people try and predict when Jesus is going to return. How many times have you heard it? The end of the world is next week. I remember when I was 16, 2000, apparently the world was supposed to end there. And um, a professional footballer retired from football because he thought that the world was going to end. And he looked a bit daft the next year when he returned. This Argentinian keeper was crazy. But, you know, predicting that when Jesus is going to return, how arrogant do you want to be, really? You know, this is something that us small, infallible human beings shouldn't even try to comprehend because our logic does not even compare to the ultimate wisdom of God. Amen? However, what we do during the waiting period is essential. We need to think about how we can still serve God while we wait for Jesus to return to show that we trust in God and we want to do all that we can for him. 
We serve God because we love him, not just because we want him to give us stuff, not just because we want him to provide for us. We serve God because it's an expression of love to him. It's an expression of worship. But there's a danger, isn't there, that while we wait for God to send Jesus back, that we waste these precious minutes he's given us here on earth by just lounging about and being passive. You know, God telling us to wait for Jesus, you know, it doesn't mean that he's given us time off. Chance would be a nice thing, wouldn't it? But that isn't what God means. God doesn't mean that it doesn't matter if we're obedient or disobedient to him. And it also has nothing to do with God not having anything to do for us. We just sit there on our backsides and do nothing. God's got stuff for us to do. He's got contributions for all of us to make. And we can't afford to be idle. We can't afford to be sat about doing nothing. We've got to be proactive with building the kingdom. Abraham knew at this point that God was going to use Isaac to build a great nation and that many descendants will be born through the lineage of Abraham and Isaac. You know, we read later on in the chapter, don't we, that there's going to be so many descendants of Abraham to Isaac that it's going to be as many as the stars in the sky, as many as the sands in the seashore, yeah? And, but when Abraham was tested by God here, God was also testing to see if Abraham really believed in the promise of making his name into a great nation. He was testing that as well. Now, this is open for debate, but I believe, in my opinion, that Abraham knew that Isaac was going to survive the whole time. That's my opinion. And he knew that somehow everything was going to be fine and that a more appropriate sacrifice was going to be revealed. And I say that because if you look in verse 5 of Genesis 22, um, Abraham says to the servants that um, they would would both return. And I really think that he wouldn't have said that if he really didn't think that Isaac was going to make it. However, Abraham could have responded totally different to this situation. First of all, he could have been eager to get on with building this nation. You know, he could have tried to carry out this calling in his own strength. He could have tried to take matters into his own hands. He could have said to God, look, I don't have time to make sacrifices to you. I've got bigger fish to fry. I'm building a nation. He could have got arrogant about it. He could have got upset with God about it. He could have turned his back completely on the Lord. But thankfully, Abe doesn't do that. He uses the waiting period to humble himself and submit to God, to not lean on his understanding, to obey and to strengthen his faith. And throughout the whole situation, God blesses him. And he reveals the ram to him. And also this allows Abraham to have have the opportunity to encounter the angel who commended Abraham for his faith. Abraham acknowledges God's provision to such a level that he decides in verse 14 to name the place where the offering was found. He names it this, the Lord will provide. What a great name for a place. God was waiting for Abraham to be utterly dependent on him before coming through for him. And God offers similar challenges to us today. And as we wait for Jesus to return, we can fall into the danger of just waiting for heaven. We can fall into the trap of thinking, well, we're saved. There's nothing for us to do now. We can be okay with just coasting through the rest of our lives. We can think, well, we can just do our own thing now and be selfish. But Matthew 24 verse 14 says this. It says, this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all nations. And then, and then the end will come. So this says that as we wait for the end to come, as we wait for the return of Jesus, 
Jesus is waiting for the gospel to be preached to all nations before he returns. That means that Jesus is waiting for as many people as possible to receive the gospel and become saved. And he's doing that because he loves them. He loves everybody. He loves every single person that's ever created. And he wants to see them saved. And when Jesus does return, it'll be like nothing we've seen or heard before. And he'll change everything. However, only God knows when this will happen. Now, we don't just sit about while, and do nothing while we wait. In the meantime, there are people out there in this community, in your workplaces, in your family circles, in your friendship circles, who don't know the gospel, who are unsaved. And take that personally and get out there and get them to hear the gospel because God's given us a work to do to preach the gospel and make disciples. I'm not making it up, it's in his commission. But there's lots of work for us to do. But the questions are these. Are we willing to get stuck in? Are we willing to do this? Are we willing to do this even if we're not comfortable doing so? Even if we feel like we'd rather not? Even if it might affect our popularity from time to time? But if we're not willing to make the sacrifices then we miss out on being involved in the most precious work that will ever exist. Trust me. And if the band can come up, I'm just going to wrap this up now, please. Uh, that would be great. Um, so yeah, um, but keep listening to me because this point's important as well. I just want to finish off by saying that God provides salvation. Okay? And when we think about God being our provider, we tend to think of worldly things. We think of God providing us with employment, food, drink, shelter, family, relationships, and other things that help us to get by in life. And I totally agree, these things are important, but God actually provides something that's far more important than those things that I've just read out, and that is the gift of Jesus Christ. That is the gift of salvation. That is the greatest gift that God has provided for us. And God provides us Jesus who lived a perfect life. He committed no sins and his perfect life was sacrificed to die on the cross. He was resurrected three days later so that we're imperfect lives can be spared. And if we allow Jesus to take our punishment, we will inherit the everlasting life that God has and wants to provide for us. John 3, 16 to 17 confirms it. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. God provides salvation, but he'll only provide that to people who accept it. He doesn't force it on people. Because not only does God love us so much that he, gives us the, he provides us the gift of salvation, he loves us that much that he respects us to give us the ability to choose for ourselves. He, does, he hasn't created us to be robots. He's given us the ability to have free will. We don't deserve this, but God's grace allows it. Now, if you're not a Christian this morning, then I just want to ask you to choose again. Because at the moment, you are rejecting the most precious gift that God has ever provided, the gift of salvation. Truth is this. God created you. He wants to be in a loving relationship with you. He's provided a way for you to be free from sin. And through Jesus, he's provided a way for you to live forever, that when you die, you can live beyond death. So please, I beg you, if you're not a Christian this morning, 
Don't reject this amazing gift of salvation. Don't make the worst mistake you'll ever make by saying no. You can't afford to do that. Now, if you've never ever thought about where you're going to go when you die, start thinking about it now. Because that might sound harsh, that might sound ridiculous, but your salvation is important. And this is a matter that all of us have to face. Nobody is excluded from it. And I take your salvation seriously. It's important, and you should take it seriously too. So don't wait to be saved. Become saved today, because we don't know what tomorrow will bring. God wants to be in a relationship with you today. He loves you that much that he doesn't want to wait for him to be your father and you to be his son or daughter. He wants that now. He's eager to just have a loving relationship with you. And if you want to become a Christian, then talk to somebody and get somebody to pray. There's lots of Christians here today who you can confide in. Now, God provides by saying yes, no, and wait. He provides his people with work to build his kingdom, but the greatest gift that God provides is salvation. And this morning, if you're not a Christian, he offers it to you. Amen. So um, I'm going to give you a bit of time to respond. The band are going to give us a bit of time of worship. Um, and it might be that there's something I've said or there's something that God's been saying to you through somebody else or maybe just you and God alone that God's really challenging with you right now. Yeah? Today's a good chance. So um, if, if you want prayer uh, during the worship time right now, just go to the sides and a member of our ministry team will come and pray with you. You know, don't be worried about what other people think. Don't think, oh, you know, I'm not going to burden them with my problems. Get yourself out there. Do business with God, just like the youth did at New Day. Just get yourself out there in prayer and get somebody to offer you that support because we're a family, aren't we? And that's what families do. It may be that you're waiting for God to provide you with something. Maybe God's promised you with something, like Abraham and Sarah. He's making you wait. Maybe you need to... You need someone to pray with you for God to give you the strength to wait. Maybe you're not a Christian today. Maybe you're thinking that today's the day I'm going to do it. Get someone to pray with you. Don't wait. Don't, again, it doesn't matter what other people are thinking. Just all that matters is what's going on between you and God. Erase the rest of the world. Just focus on him and he will bless you. Okay, I'm just going to pray and then I'll hand back over to Sarush and worship team. Lord, I just want to thank you that you are the provider. Lord, thank you that you provide in a number of ways of answering. You say yes, you say no, and you say wait. You have your believers to build your kingdom, but also, Lord, because you're everybody's father, you're everybody's heavenly father, you desire to be in relationship with everybody. There is plenty of room for everybody in your house, Lord. But I also thank you, God, that you give everybody the ability to choose. You give everybody the ability to make that decision. And Lord, I pray right now through the power of your Holy Spirit that you speak to those who don't know you and you, and, and you just give them the courage and strength to make that bold step for them to proclaim that Jesus Christ is Lord and Saviour. Lord, if there's believers here today who just, at the minute, they just don't have the courage to reach out to others, to minister to others, to tell people the gospel, to make disciples, Lord, remove that faith Move that fear through faith in the name of Jesus Christ. Holy Spirit, take away any anxieties. And again, Lord, I just pray that they leave this service bold. 
Where to take on the world? Where to take on Satan and just living purely for you? Give us all the strength to make the sacrifices that we need to make, Lord, just like Abraham did. Amen. Thank you, Sarish.